So if you would, turn to Jonah chapter 2. So we're in Jonah chapter 2. We're in a series on Jonah, and uh, Coach Ackerman opened this up last week um, just to kind of talk to you guys in Jonah chapter 1. Remember, Jonah gets called to Nineveh. Jonah says no to the Lord and goes to Tarshish instead. On his way to Tarshish in the boat, there's this horrible storm. Um, and Jonah realizes that it's his fault, so he gets the sailors to throw him in. And once he's in the ocean, uh, God appoints a great fish to uh, consume Jonah, Jonah, but that keeps him safe from drowning. So um, Jonah chapter 2 is this beautiful section of the Bible where Jonah sees God the way that God has been trying to show him the whole time, right? God's been trying to show Jonah, this is what I'm like, and Jonah will have none of it. And he ignores God, he leaves from God. Um, and Jonah chapter 2 is, this, is the prayer that Jonah prays. That is Jonah 2. It's a prayer, it's a break in the story where Jonah prays, and we see that Jonah's mind has changed and his heart has changed, at least for a moment, from this bitter, racist, elitist, lost in his anger kind of guy, and it changes, and he becomes this kind of humble, thankful child of God. Um, I think, you know, I teach Sunday school, and so I have to be careful, but I think, I think Sunday school has kind of failed us on this one, because so often this is the story of, of Jonah and the Jonah and the whale. And the fish gets three verses in this whole book. Jonah's prayer is a chapter long. And we know everything we need to know about the fish, but we don't know anything about the prayer, right? And I didn't until I started studying for this. Um, we have to, so notes are kind of here, we have to read our Bibles, guys. We have to. You know what the word illiteracy means, which would be kind of ironic if you didn't, but the, the word illiteracy means you're unable, there it is, it, it like traveled through, um, Illiteracy means you're unable to read or you're unable to understand what you're reading. The level of biblical illiteracy in our churches is devastating, is terrifying. The amount of, those are the little amount of time that we actually spend in God's Word. Get in your Bible, man. Read it. Begin to, begin to dig into His Word. I don't understand it. I know. Keep reading. There are parts that I don't understand. Keep reading, right? Where do I start? Anywhere. I would say Genesis or Matthew, the beginning of the Old Testament or the beginning of the New Testament. Start and just begin to read. Just begin to spend time and read it. Um, and the things that you will learn are unbelievable. And not just what you'll learn, but how you'll grow is unbelievable. Um, for example, Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, did you know, it's made up almost entirely of psalms. So if you're taking notes or if you're writing in your Bible, um, but you may want to write next to Jonah chapter 2, just it's psalms. And we can meet after, and I can tell you all the specifics, but I don't have time. But literally every single verse in Jonah chapter 2 that's in the prayer, um, not verse 1 where he's like, from the belly of the fish, that's not in a psalm, but in 2 through 9, it's all psalms except for like one verse. He's quoting from other pieces of the Bible. He's remembering what the Lord has done for him, and he's so thankful for what God has done for him that all these psalms 
that he had to memorize, that he had to read back in the day, now they mean something to him. That's part of what salvation is. It's when the things that we learn about the Bible, the things we know about the Bible, we don't just learn them and know them, they begin to matter. That's what starts to happen in salvation. While in the belly of the fish, Jonah realizes what he's done, and he realizes what God has done for him. Jonah, in his own way, before Jesus comes, Jonah understands the gospel. Jonah begins to understand what this good news is, what the gospel is. So let me, let me stop for a second. Because we're in a day and age where people are beginning to think that the Old Testament just does not matter. That it doesn't apply. That the New Testament is Jesus and awesome and the cross and grace. The Old Testament God is mean and all these. And that's just not the case. The good news, the gospel is, Jesus has come to sacrifice himself in your place. Because the things that you have done, the way that your heart is wired, is away from God. And there's an awful penalty that we have to pay for that, that I have to pay for that. But Jesus died in my place. Jonah is beginning to understand that, and Jesus hasn't even come yet. That's what's happening in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah, in his own way, is beginning to understand the good news, the gospel. I have messed up so badly, I have sinned so badly, yet God didn't leave. Not only did he not leave, so Jonah is sinning, right? Jonah is leaving God. God could just stay there, or God could leave. But not only does God not stay there, not only does God not leave, God chases Jonah down. God comes after Jonah. When I ignore God, God does not ignore me. And that's the whole key here, because so many of us, I think, we, we ignore God or we don't really think about God that often. But that doesn't mean that God is not thinking about you, that God is not moving towards you. And that's the case with Jonah. Um, look at verses 1 and 2 of Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out in my distress to the Lord, and He answered me. I cried for help from the depths of the dead, and the Lord heard my voice. So Jonah is not... So this is why this is so important. God rescues Jonah, right? He rescues Jonah. But Jonah is not on his way to Nineveh in obedience when God does this. Jonah's on his way to Tarshish when God does this. Jonah is in the middle of disobeying God when God rescues him. Jonah is guilty and sinning and running from God when he calls on God and God answers him. It's like in the middle of doing something wrong, in the middle of doing something sinful, something bad happens to you. And you call out to God. But in your heart it might say something like, you shouldn't call out to God. Look at what you're doing. He's not going to answer you. And Jonah is clearly showing us, yes, he will. He hasn't, some of you maybe, you grow cold towards God. You feel like God's not there. Jonah is showing us he is there. Because here's, here's the thing. It's easy for us to feel close to God 
when we're behaving, right? It's easy for us to feel close to God when we're behaving. It's easy to like church. It's easy when you haven't done anything wrong. Sure, I'll go to church, Ryan. Of course I'll sing Reckless Love again. Why would you even ask me? Like, It's this idea that since our behavior is in order, we must be cool with God. So yeah, church is fine. But then we misbehave. And that's when we begin to grow cold towards God. Or we do something wrong and everybody finds out about it. And so we stop coming or we fade away. And some of you know people like this, and some of you maybe you're in this in-between right now. where you're, As long as you're good, as long as your behavior's good, you and God are cool. But when we misbehave, when we do something bad, we start to turn away from God. We stop talking to God. We start to feel disconnected with God. And the reason is because the only reason you were cool with God is because it was still on your own terms. You were cool with God as long as you behaved. It was your fault. As long as I behaved, God and I are cool. Your relationship with God is still built on works. You've done Awana, you've been in youth, you've done the whole thing, yet you're still not understanding a grace-based relationship. That's why everything crumples for you when you misbehave. And that's why for some of you, maybe your parents pour it on when you get out of line. Because maybe for them, their relationship with God is not grace-based. It's based on works. Because works is the key. That's what keeps the bridge between you and God up. And when you fail, and that bridge topples. But what we have to understand, and what Jonah is beginning to see is, this bridge has toppled. This bridge of brick and wood has toppled. And there are steel beams under it keeping him connected to God. And that's what grace is. So much stronger than our works. People back away from God and they back away from the church because they don't feel like they've earned his love anymore. Because we're just like Jonah. This grace that we sing about is only skin deep. We don't really believe this. We haven't truly experienced what Tim Keller calls the embrace of the father. You remember in the story of the prodigal son where the son comes home and the father just tackles him, right? Just, just bowls him over in this giant hug. We come to church and we sing about this love, but do you actually know what it feels like? Look at me. Do you actually know what it feels like to be loved that way? To be loved by God that way. Not in a way of, I think sometimes we picture God as the one who pins the Iwana medals on us. Or the one who's pulling us out into the aisle. Every invitation, he's like, come on, come down the aisle, come down the aisle. And he's like guilting you. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? And he's really trying to make you feel this. But have you ever actually felt God the way Jonah is now feeling him? The way the prodigal son felt is this idea of being overrun and embraced by your heavenly Father. Jonah was on his way to Tarshish, ignoring God's will. And God could have ignored him right back. But instead, God moves in mercy and saves him. 
Uh, there are people that will say, you know, I don't feel close to God anymore. Um, I've done too much wrong. Jonah disobeyed a direct call from God and sailed around the world to avoid it. And God was still right there with him, right there in step. I don't feel God. Stop looking to your feelings. Let the story of Jonah, let the story of God's word tell your feelings to kind of back off. You remember when we did the Psalms a while back? Um, and in the Psalms, David says, um, Oh my gosh, uh, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. You know, he's, ta- he's talking to himself. He's digging into his own feelings, saying, Stop. Look at what his word says. Why are you so downcast? Why aren't you hoping in God? Hope in God. He, he realizes that his emotions are playing tricks on him. His emotions don't define reality. I feel far from God. According to the Bible, that's not possible. He is closer than a brother, Proverbs 18. He is quick to forgive Think about that. He is quick to forgive. Isaiah 55. He is slow to anger. Exodus 34. He is overflowing with steadfast love. Psalm 103. I feel like God is far away. Listen, 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 listen. According to the Bible, that's not possible. No matter how you feel, it's like, I had this, this ridiculous phase, and I think students have it too, in college, I thought, I literally, for like all of my freshman year of college, I thought I had cancer. Like I just thought I had cancer. Like things were so good, but like any, any like pain in my mouth, or like a pain in my stomach, I was like, it's, here we go. It's, you know what I mean? Like I thought, I literally thought I had like some terrible sickness, and it just, it was one of those that just stuck in my brain, right? And it just wouldn't, would not go out. It would not. Um, And so my dad finally was like, all right, all right, we'll go to the doctor. We'll get a physical done. We'll get blood work done. And the doctor said, you don't, surprise, you you don't have cancer. You have no sign of cancer. You have no area of disease. You're in great shape. You're in perfect physical condition in terms of your health. Everything is fine. But I still feel like I have cancer. But that doesn't matter because look at what the doctor says. I feel like God is far from me. It doesn't matter what, look what the doctor says. Use this, use the doctor's report to say, he's not far away from me. He hasn't let me go. He hasn't abandoned me. I know I'm sinful. Jonah was way worse than me, and God rescued him. He is not far from you. He has not forgotten you. Listen to the doctor's report, not what you feel. Man, I could do like another hour and a half. We got to keep going. Um, I've done, here's the, here's, I've done too much bad. God won't love me. Okay, that is so dumb for two reasons, okay? I've done too much for God to love me. I've done too much to come to church. Because that's what they'll say. I shouldn't be in church. Church is for the good people. I don't want to do this. I've done too much. God won't love me. Here's two reasons that that's dumb. Number one, I've done so much sin. okay. Friend, you have done so much more sin than you think. 
I see students all the time, I'm terrible, I'm so far from God. Maybe so, but the Bible says you're actually a lot worse than you think you are. Like just by the time you notice that it's a sin, where do you think God's been, bro? Like he saw that way back here, and he sees the things that you don't. There's a, in the Psalms, David says, forgive me of my unseen faults. He's saying, forgive me of the things that I don't even know that I've done. I feel terrible, I'm so far from God. Really? You're actually way worse than that. So don't base it on how you feel. But the second, so first of all, okay, thanks for that, Ryan, awesome. But second of all, here's the other thing. The Bible says you're way worse than you think you are. The Bible also says that God loves us way more than we think He does. The Bible loves you so much more than songs can sing. The Bible loves you so much more than I'll, the, the God of the Bible loves you so much more than I'll ever be able to tell you. But these are the things that the Bible tells us. Use the Bible. Don't use your emotions. Trust the story of Jonah. Your feelings don't go nearly deep enough. Jonah shows us that you're way worse off than you could possibly think, and yet you are much more loved than you could possibly imagine. You're way worse off than you think. Don't come to me with, oh, God's never going to talk to me again. He knows way more than you do, bro. And he's still here. That's the point. It's not, you're horrible, see you later, Ben, let's play. Like, that's not the point. The point is, you're way worse than you think. And he's still there. Which means he loves you way more than you think. Okay, look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 of Jonah chapter 2. Um, when I find it, there we go. And Jonah said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of death, and you heard my voice. Verse 3, for you cast me into the ocean, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and your waves passed over me. A couple things from these two verses. Number one, people are the hands of God. People are the hands of God. And here's what I mean. Look at verse 3. Jonah says of God, You threw me into the deep. He says God picked him up and threw him into the ocean. We know that that's not true. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 15, it literally says, Then the sailors took Jonah and threw him overboard. So the sailors threw Jonah overboard, but Jonah says, No, no, it was God. So how do we put these together? God moves in your life through people which is so important because you're surrounded with people all the time. It's not just me speaking to you. It's not just your small group leader encouraging you. It's not just your parents or grandparents or whomever keeping you on the right path. It's God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We are ambassadors to Christ, as if God were making an appeal through us. God is moving all around us through other people. And that means that He can move in someone else's life through you. Flip that over. If He moves in your life through other people, He can move in other people's life through you. And not through all the cool things that you do. You don't have to be cool. God is cool. You have to be faithful. 
All right, next up. This is what I want you to see in Jonah. Jonah sees the gospel. He sees the mixture of God's mercy and God's punishment coming together. Verse 2 and 3 again. Verse 2 and 3 again. Then Jonah said, I called out for my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of death, and you heard my voice. And then verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and your current engulfed me, and all your breakers and waves crashed over me. So verse 2 says, you saved me. You rescued me. You saved me from the ocean. You rescued me. And then verse 3 says, you threw me into the water. You threw me into the ocean. So it's this idea of you saved me, and you're the one that threw me in. You delivered me from this, and you punished me by throwing me in here. So the God who saves Jonah is the same God who punished Jonah by throwing him into the ocean in the first place. It's this mixture of punishment and mercy. Who cares? Why is this important? Because this is pointing to a much bigger mix of punishment and mercy. You don't have to turn there. In Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 12. So Luke 11 and Matthew 12. Jesus is talking to the crowds. He's talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, give us a sign so, we, so that we know you're legit. Give us a sign so we, that we know you're real. And this is what Jesus says. And it's really strange. Jesus says, the only sign, miracle, the only sign that you'll get is the sign of Jonah. And I tell you, something greater than Jonah is here. So you're going to see the sign of Jonah. In other words, what happened to Jonah is going to happen again in front of your very eyes. And it's going to be better than Jonah. Something better than Jonah is here. So you're going to see exactly what happened to Jonah, Pharisees in the crowd, and it's going to be better because it's through me. What does he mean? The same mixture of punishment and mercy that we see in Jonah, we see in Jesus. But it's magnified a hundred times. In Jonah's situation, so here's how we see it. In Jonah's situation, we see God's punishment in this storm. God brings the storm. Jonah 1.4, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. So it looks like God condemns Jonah to die. There's the punishment. But we also see God's mercy when he rescues Jonah. Jonah 1.17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and nights. Sound familiar? So we see punishment and mercy. We see the storm and the salvation. And we see the exact same thing, punishment and mercy, storm and salvation in the cross, only much more. On the cross, we see Jesus completely swept away by the storm of God's punishment. But this is a storm the likes of which Jonah could never imagine. I heard this quote this week, and it is blowing up my brain. This is what a pastor said. If the sun can burn our retinas from 93 million miles away, what do you think it'll be like when we meet the God who created it? If the sun can burn your retinas from 93 million miles away, what do you think it's going to be like when you meet the God who created it? 
Now imagine that God mad at you, filled with rage towards you. Psalm 11, the Lord, those who do evil, the Lord hates with a passion. Numbers 12, the anger of the Lord burned. And we hear that all the time, but how intense can that be? How awful can that be? Look at me. If the God who made the sun burns with anger. This is the storm that waits for people who do not know God. This is the storm that waits for people who do not believe in God as their Savior. But this is also the storm that Jesus was thrown into on the cross. People say all the time how they would love to see. I'd believe it if I could see Jesus on the cross. If I could travel back in time and see Jesus on the cross. The ironic thing is, even if you could go back in time, you probably wouldn't be, if you literally could go back in time to Golgotha, you probably wouldn't even be able to see it. If you remember, half of it was in total darkness. You remember this, how the sun stops shining at the crucifixion? Luke 23, 44 and 45 says this. It was now the sixth hour of the crucifixion and darkness of the day, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was blocked and the veil of the temple was torn in two. The first, here's why this is so important, the fact that the sun stops shining at the crucifixion. The first thing that God invented was light. By making it first, before He makes people, the first thing He makes is light. The reason He does this is that God is saying, the thing that defines me best, the thing that I am most like, the first thing that I'm going to create that shows who I am, the creation that points to me most clearly is light. Have you ever noticed how when you open your door late at night, darkness doesn't just creep into your house? What happens is the other light shines out, right? The darkness can't... That sounds exactly like God. During the crucifixion, God's anger towards Jesus was so fierce, the storm of His punishment of our sin raged so violently that God removed all light from Jesus. The thing that defined God's presence was gone from Him. As if God was saying to Jesus, I want nothing to do with you. Blocking the sun was God's way of saying, I'm going to remove every hint of me from you. Jesus is the greater Jonah because the storm that was for Jesus and the storm that was for all unbelievers is so severe that Jonah wouldn't even be able to speak about it. And here's the good news. Jesus is the better Jonah because Jonah was thrown into his storm by sailors and Jesus jumped into our storm willingly. You remember in Matthew 26, I know, of course you do, right? Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's about to be taken prisoner, and Peter, bless him, pulls out a sword to like to three musketeers his way out of this, right? And you remember what Jesus does? He stops him. And he says, Do you not think that I could call on my Father at once 
and he would send 12 legions of angels at my disposal? He's saying to Peter, I can call out 12 legions of angels. In other words, I can stop this whenever I want. Don't miss this. The terror of the storm that was coming for Jesus, he can stop it whenever he wants, and he doesn't. Why? Because he and the Father and the Holy Spirit want to save you. John 10, 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down, and I will pick it up again. No one can take my life from me unless I give it up. Jonah would never jump into the water on his own. In Jonah 1.12, Jonah says, I did this. I'm the reason that this is happening, so you're going to have to throw me in. But see, Jonah knows that it's his fault, but Jonah, why doesn't he just jump in? Because he can't do it. He's terrified. This is the cry of all men and women before the wrath of God. You have friends, and I have friends that just joke about it, right? And they're like, at least I had friends in college who would say stuff like, oh, you know, like we weren't talking about theology, obviously, but they would just be like, oh, man, you know I'm going to hell, right? I'm having a good time here, but man, at least I'm going to hell later, but man, at least I'm having a good time here, right? And we know people who talk like this. These people have no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea what they're talking about. Look at, look at God's Word. Look at the fear on Jonah's face. All bravado, all fake bravery is gone. He has to have someone else throw him in because God is angry. And when thinking of a way to symbolize God's wrath, the Bible uses the destructive power of the ocean. This is what was waiting for you. And Jesus walked into that storm for you, and He wanted to. He wanted to do this. Do you remember the story of Jesus calming the storm, right? He says, be still, and the wind and the waves stop. Matthew chapter 8 says they, it says they were completely calm. This is what happened to the storm of punishment that was waiting for you the second Jesus rose from the dead. It's as if all the oceans of the world were going to come crashing down on you, and then in an instant they all flattened out, and the sun started shining. All the anger God had for your sin was put on Jesus. He was thrown into the storm and it swept him away. And the winds and the waves for you died down. And the storm was completely calm. And you were put on dry land permanently. You see, it's punishment and mercy coming together. And on the cross, Jesus was thrown into our storm. And we get the sunlight instead. You see, it's not about your actions. Well, I've done this, or I'm fading away from God. God would never accept me. You're right, He wouldn't. That's why He sent someone in your place to become your sin. Every wave of punishment that you deserve has washed over Jesus instead. There is no longer such thing as I'm too much bad to be right with God. 
The world says, based on what you've done, you've built up a big storm for yourself with God. And you have to jump off into that terror and face God's justice. The gospel says, God sent Jesus to jump into that storm for you. And he wanted to. So what do you mean when you say, when you think that you've gone too far? That you can't connect to God anymore? I have good news. If the storm of God's justice couldn't keep Him away from you, nothing else stands a chance of keeping Him away from you. Jonah being thrown into the water to save the sailors is pointing to someone who's greater than Jonah who willingly jumped into a much worse storm to save us from something much worse than a sinking boat. Romans 8.39 says, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I am, most of the time, a complete basket case, right? Uh, My brain and emotions just get the best of me, and I just can't deal with it. Um, and I love like the deep Jesus music, like the triumphant, like the like everything by passion, and like all the big songs. And so Kristen, when we started dating, she was like, "You need to chill out a little bit." And so she made me. It's in my car. She made me a CD that it, that was that she affectionately titled "Chill Jesus Jams for the Basket Case." Right? It's basically a bunch of ring collective, which is good. I like them. But on the mid- in the middle of that CD, and I just heard it this week, um, there's a song called Satisfied in You. And in parentheses it says Psalm 42. Satisfied in You. And this is, this is the li- these are some of the lyrics. So when I'm drowning out at sea, so when things are going wrong, when I'm drowning out at sea, and your breakers and your waves crash down on me, I'll remember, you're the one who made the waves. And your son went out to suffer in my place and to tell me that I'm safe. I am satisfied in you. This is the point of Jonah, not the whale. Jonah has been pointing to something. Someone is coming who is going to go through a much bigger storm The storm of God's justice on you is the biggest storm in your life. It's worse than anything else that's ever happened to you. And some of you have really been through it. And I get that. The storm of God's justice, the biggest problem in your life is not what's happened to you. The biggest problem in your life is that you are separated from God. That's the biggest storm in your life. And God has sent Jesus to take care of that. To fix that. And when that begins to work its way into your soul, when you see Jesus looking back at you, tears in His eyes, jumping into the water for you to rescue you because He wants to, we won't doubt His love as much anymore. Let's pray.